Welcome to Inside the War Room. Today's guest is Dr. Dale Comstock. But first, let me encourage you, just take a second. Go over to the newsletter, warroommedia.com, and sign up so you never miss an episode or anything else that we have coming out from there. Okay, so Dale Comstock, interesting cat, served 10 years in the first F. I can't speak again, SFOD-D, the Delta Force, as an assaulter, explosive, mechanical, ballistic, and manual breacher, team leader for the 3rd Special Forces Group of Green Berets, as a light and heavy weapons expert. He's done all kinds of stuff. I got a whole thing here I'll link to in the show notes. Uh, He's got a background in karate. He's into medicine. He's got all kinds of things. So be sure to check him out. Interesting dude. Cool story. And he also has a book, which I'll link to as well. So be sure to check out everything at dalecomstock.com for his website. Okay, let's talk to Dale. Dale, welcome to the War Room. How are you doing? Good, sir. How about yourself? You know, it is lovely here in the great state of Texas right now, so I can't complain. We've got good weather finally, so it's uh, it is nice. You're in Texas. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Texas and Florida, man, like the last two, uh, the last two safe havens in America, man. <laughs> yeah, I, live in, I live in a little town just south of Fort Worth, so it's a uh, nice and relatively quiet so uh we, we like it that way so um okay well let's get into it a little bit i brought obviously in the introduction mentioned you kind of a little bit about your background um but the first question that comes to mind when i thought about uh when i want to reach out to you and bring you on is so delta force does exist it's a real thing <laughs> yeah. unofficially <laughs> unofficially <laughs> yeah well, I mean, there's enough books that been written about it to include the founder, you know, Colonel Beckwith. So, um, but uh, <clears throat> so officially, you cannot. Re- it does not exist, but it, we know all know it does. It has to do with Freedom of Information Acts and things like that. Um, there's there's all kinds of legal reasons why it's clouded in a mystery, but um, for good reason though, um, for very good reason. So, you know, in America. With the Freedom of Information Act, we can, you know, as taxpayers, we can, hey, say, hey, we, I want to know more about this. What are you guys spending my money on? Blah, 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 you know. And there's just some things that, uh, you know, should, should not be disclosed because it might compromise, uh, you know, national security to, to include security of, uh, you know, those involved in the organization, operators and things like that. So, um, no, so for safety and security, it's sometimes a good idea not to divulge that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, and that's part of the the thing around it is obviously you were a member of the Green Berets as well, and so you 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 see this kind of this this um you know if you read the spy novels, obviously uh, there's a lot of talk about you know Delta Force or, or these clandestine groups, and then you see people out in, out in the wild, if you will, uh, in civilian life who talk about it. And, and from the civilian standpoint, like myself. Um, you do wonder, it's like, wow, okay, how much of this is is meant to just keep the public intrigued? Because we're sitting here um, going, hey, well, what is real? What is not? And to your point, there are obviously national security secrets that, that have to be um, kept away from us. But sometimes you make, it makes you wonder if they're just keeping it away just so that, uh, just so that we, we keep asking these questions. Yeah, I don't think so, man. Um, you know, <laughs> 
I, I, you know, I don't think so because look, most of these politicians can't keep their mouth shut, and they would be they would love to talk about stuff like this, and and uh, um, but uh, you know, and actually today, you know, in, in today's government, today's world, there's very little consequences anymore for you know people, um, you know, divulging secrets. I mean, look how many people have done that so far, especially on the left, you know, and now all of a sudden it's a crime when Donald Trump has some kind of purportedly classified documents in his home, which is funny. Um, he is a declassification authority, so he can declassify anything he wants. But nonetheless, you know, I, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, for example, you know, what's his name? Uh, Swalwell in California. You know, here he is sleeping with a Chinese honeypot. Um, you know, how many secrets did he spill to her, you know, on the pillow, on the, on the, on the bedroom pillow, you know? Um, there's no consequences, particularly for politicians. There's only consequences for you know, the, the minions out here. And, um, but I, I don't believe it's because it, it's for intrigue or anything like that, that they're withholding those kind of secrets. I mean, let's look at the Navy SEALs. I mean, <laughs> these guys are the biggest mouths out there. You know, they tell everything and, and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> um, but I, you know, one thing I'll say about the unit is it is the probably the most professional military organization in the world. Um, I would go so far as say most professional organization of any kind in the world because you don't hear much about them, um, you know, and have, having been in that organization for 10 years, you know, the, the men there really do believe in, you know, the American way of life. They believe in freedom of patriotism. They believe in, um, you know, being the quiet professional. I'm the only loud mouth. I wrote the book, but I wrote it long after I left the unit. And actually the reason I wrote it was not to you know to brag about my experiences there, but actually to um, enlighten and motivate and inspire young men to become uh, better Americans, better better patriots, better soldiers. Um, because I'm looking at you know, I mean, let's look around. Let's look at our kids today. Um, one of the highest obesity rates in the world. You know, in fact, the, the military is having a very difficult time recruiting because. They can't find kids that can meet the height and weight standard anymore. They're all fat and out of shape, you know. So my mission was to write the book, tell a little bit about my life story using, uh, you know, anecdotal information and things like that to, you know, teach teach young men what is possible and uh, and what they should hopefully inspire to be, to, you know, to be a better, if nothing else, to be a better human being in our country. And um so that was my intent, but you know, I'm the one guy that wrote the book along with Colonel Beckwith and a few others. But uh, again, it was not to, to tell the stories, you know, the secrets, because you'll, you'll, when you read it, you'll realize there's no, I'm not telling any kind of a secret. Um, but, uh, but going back to what I started with as a unit, you know, the guys really are the quiet professionals, man. Uh, they don't care about, you know, telling their their stories and, and fame and fortune. Um, Unlike, you know, some of the other services out there, um, you know, everybody's got a book to write, out, write about now for everything they did in the world. So um, very professional organization, um, very professional. And, you know, it's it, it doesn't have quite the regimentation as conventional military, like the infantry or Rangers and Marines. But, um, you know, every man there is an, a non-commissioned officer or an officer. There's no there's no enlisted. Um, and everybody's treated with respect. In fact, most times everybody's on a first name basis, um, unless it's, you know, inappropriate at the time, you know, during some time, you know, 
formal uh, meetings and things like that that everybody addresses, you know, people with respective ranks. But uh, so there's a lot of informalities there, but as well as the, the organization is very professional, regimented, very disciplined, um, you know, and uh, that was the greatest thing about our organization was just that that the, the collection of personalities and people with certain different back skill sets all in one under one roof, you know, with one common mission. Um, that was just the most amazing experience. You know, in fact, I, I always tell people that I look forward to going to work every day because it really wasn't work. You know, um, I mean, it wasn't. And then when I come home, it was the most satisfying experience every day. Like, man, I had a great day again. Um, every day was literally an adventure, no matter how hard it was, how hard the training was, how dangerous it was. It was always exciting, man. And so, you know, I've been fortunate in that regard because, you know, after I left the infantry, now the infantry is hard work. Um, that's the different, that's a whole different animal. That, that's digging foxholes and filling them back up and digging more foxholes and walking around the woods. Um, very regimented, um, very stern, very strict. But once I left that organization and went to the unconventional side, um, to, for example, Delta and Special Forces and Green Beret, um, and even moving forward there, you know, uh, I was a member of OGA for nine and a half years. Um, and then what I do now is having that freedom and that liberty is just uh, the most satisfying thing ever. I really haven't worked since, I really haven't worked since 1985. Everything I've done since then has just been a labor of love. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I have the best life, I think, in that regard. What attracted you to Special Forces? You know, so my father was in the Army for 20 years, and you know, I grew up in the military culture, uh, literally um, grew up most of my uh, childhood and teenage years in Germany. My mother's German. My father met her over there. And then uh, even in the United States, we lived in you know, all the different military installations across America. So, you know, that's the only life I knew. It's really the only culture that I was very familiar with. And I was very uncomfortable outside of that. In fact, when my dad retired, we moved up to... Uh, Fremont, California, the Bay Area near San Francisco. And it was like a culture shock. Um, you know, everything was so different back back in the day. Even, I mean, it's even worse now, but even back then it was, you know, you could, I could sense the difference, you know, I had a hard time coping and adjusting. And so my, my mission was in life, I just wanted to go back to what was familiar, which was the military. And, um, and I was, you know, always a gung-ho kid. I like to play army. I like the military. I like, you know, I like sports. So um, I decided I wanted to go in as soon as I graduated high school. My goal originally was to be a ranger. And that's what I went to recruiter's office to do. Um, and then um, that didn't work out, you know, because, you know, not enough, not enough uh, allocations for that. So I settled to go to the 82nd Infantry with the mission of going to Special Forces um, and becoming a Green Beret. And that was kind of like, uh, you know, what I told my father is that was my mission to become a Green Beret. <clears throat> and so that, so after my first four years in the 82nd Airborne, I was in a long range reconnaissance platoon in the infantry. Um, I kind of realized that uh, this is not challenging. It's challenging physically, but, you know, mentally it was not challenging. I mean, how smart do you have to be to dig foxholes and fill them back up and, and shoot people and get shot at, right? <laughs> Walk around the woods all day and uh, it sucked. So, you know, I needed more. And so I kind of came to this, to this crossroad, like my four-year mark. Do I stay in? Do I get out? And uh, 
Interestingly, serendipitously, I got a letter from the Delta Force saying that I was eligible to apply to try out. Okay, so it's those, I think about what I just said, eligible to apply to try out. Everybody thinks because they get a letter, oh, Delta Force wanted me, but I, I picked a better job. You know, they, it's, no, that's not how it works. Um, the only reason they said I was eligible to apply is because they had already scanned and canvassed all the military records at the time and go, okay, these guys meet the minimum requirements to try to apply. So now I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to re-enlist, then I'm going to go right to the top, bypass everything else, Rangers, Green Berets, everything, just go to the, to the very pinnacle, which was unheard of. And so I applied, um, went through all the, you know, some of the psych evaluations, background checks, physical fitness tests, um, got the letter about a month later, says, okay, you've met all the standards to now go to our assessment and selection process, which is also a vetting process, but it's more physical now. And so, and so I went and uh, I made it um, at the time. So just to put that in perspective, there's usually, there's actually only two selection courses a year. Um, that's all they run. And basically after they canvass everybody in the military, they pick the, the, hot, the 100 candidates that uh, um, are qualified. It just turns out in my class, I had 110 guys in my class, which is a little bit deflated, but um, of the 110, six of us completed the, the, the selection process. Three of us got selected. Um, I was 23 at the time. I was the youngest guy ever to get selected um, for Delta Force. And uh, the average age is 33, I was 23. And I had like no military experience other than digging foxholes. I was an expert at that, but <laughs> there wasn't no real need for that in the Delta Force. And so I ended up going through all the training, which is another almost as close to seven months worth of training. You're still not a Delta Force operator, you're still in training um, and you still have to meet um, certain standards and ultimately end up uh, going through another selection board at the end of, of, the, of the operator training course to see if they, you know, after all the training, do they still really want you? And uh, and when I, so, you know, I made it through all that, obviously, and got selected. And I remember reporting to my squadron sergeant major, and uh, he sat me down. He goes, um, selection is a continuous process. He goes, if you can't put out 110% every day, we don't need you. You know, so and that's the mindset that was over there. So we always gave it our all, um, you know, because it was important to all of us to, to be a part of this organization, because honestly, it was a privilege. It's something that very few can actually will ever achieve in their life. Um, the numbers are so small. It's just uh, one of the most unique and elite organizations in the world with by far the hardest Delta, uh, the hardest selection process of any to include Bud's uh, Ranger School. Um, because the difference is when you go through Bud, you go through Ranger School, you go through boot camp, you go through all you go through as a group, right? And um, so there's, um, you know, you can kind of be the gray man and kind of draw your your strength, your motivation um, from others in the herd, so to speak, you know, and you can sometimes just kind of blend in and get through some of the rougher days. But going through a Delta for support selection is an individual effort. You're not with a group. You're by yourself every day, day in, day out. Um, nobody yells at you. Nobody encourages you. Um, the, the, you know, the cadre is very stoic, intentionally so. Um, they give you limited information. And basically what they're doing is teach, what they're doing is forcing you to, um, to perform at your maximum level. and uh, and. And so, and make all your own decisions. And so therein is the pressure. 
Um, it's amazing how many people cannot function under those circumstances, especially when they're physically broken down and um, it just their bodies just can't go on, but they know they have to. The only thing that's going to keep them going is their, their willpower, their mind. And, uh, and this is why the attrition rate is so high, because ultimately the organization selects um, the right man, not necessarily the best man. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can be as big and fast as you want to be and hua and scream and holler and show everybody how tough you are, but that guy usually doesn't make it. Um, it's the guy that can have, that has critical thinking skills, effective intelligence, can continue to push his broken body um, across the finish line. That's going to make it. In fact, I, my, one of my teammates broke both uh, both legs and still muscled through the course and finished it with two broken legs. You know, that's that's the kind of guys they're looking for. Um, they're not looking for the guy that, you know, is a super stud, you know, physical fitness. And I can think of some people right now, some public figures that, uh, you know, went through Delta Force and didn't make it. But, you know, and there's a reason they didn't make it. It's not because um, physically they couldn't. It's because actually psychologically they were not really a good fit. And uh, they beat themselves and, and failed the course. So um, very interesting experience. It's very unique. It's one of a kind. And I stand by what I said. It is the hardest selection course, um, bar none, in the U.S. military. Yeah, you mentioned that um, sleep depravity. Um, fatigue, and when I've watched, um, you know, some of these World War II shows and some of the battles, or watch some of the training, and, and that that's the thing that to me probably stuns me. Not that I could do any of it, but but the thing that that would go, man, I don't know because I know I don't function well on three hours of sleep or two hours of sleep or whatever. I, I I've been in awe of how people can think critically um, on high intense situations, and so. Is there a trait that you've learned um, how to how to like be better at that? Is it something that that was just natural? Because it's something that I would say is definitely not a skill set of mine. So is it something I can learn, or you're kind of born with it? Well, first let me say that uh, you know in the selection process, um, first of all, you get all the sleep you want, which is amazing. Like what? Yeah, actually, you're gonna get a solid eight hours of sleep. <laughs> you're gonna get all the food you cut. And here's that's the that's the weird part about it. It's like you would think going through selection, like everything else, you're gonna be deprived of sleep, deprived of food. People are yelling at you. You're miserable. Actually, it's the 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 opposite. Um, and that's the funny thing about it. You're giving all the comfort and food and everything you want, and psychologically, you still destroy yourself. Um, and so it's a different mentality to get you through this, this particular selection course. But to answer your question, in a, you know, so, yeah, I've been through many other schools, um, you know, even in the military where, you know, you're, you're running on two, three, four hours of sleep in 24 hours, and sometimes it's broken sleep. It's not a full four hours. Um, and so, you know, you've got to be constantly alert. You've got to constantly perform physically you've got to constantly be able to perform accurately cognitively and make good decisions uh, and therein is a challenge and to your point i think two things affect that um at the top of my head one is actually i think it's something hereditary um there are just some people out there that uh are just naturally lazy um some of them their personality types um make them more um not as it takes a level of aggression, if you will. So it's like a type A personality to be able to power through, you know, moments where you're just so tired, you can't go on, but you got to do it anyways. Um, 
And then the other one is, I think it's something that's learned, you know, we, so in our society, you know, unfortunately we have become very weak and very soft across the board, um, you know, and we, we, we have raised generations, last couple of generations of, uh, you know, kids that have been handed life on a silver platter. They overeat, they don't have to exercise, they don't have to, they don't have any discipline of any kind. And that carries over back to the military. And that is why I said earlier, you know, the, the military's having a hard time recruiting because they cannot find uh, recruits that can even meet the height and weight standard because they just didn't care, didn't have the discipline to be athletes, to be, take care of themselves and, you know, to wash their diets. And that also that's also um, a reflection on their parents because ultimately it's the, also the parents' responsibility to instill that. So it becomes generational and generational and generational. And we've gone down a rabbit hole that uh, I'm afraid we'll probably never get out of. Um, it's, we, we have the most obese uh, population in the world. Our children are some of the most obese in the world. And, um, and so we don't have the self-discipline. We don't have the discipline to teach our kids better. And our kids don't have the self-discipline to be the best they can be. How can they possibly be a good soldier. I mean, ultimately, how can you be a good warrior? You know, I mean, think about that, you know, and uh, so that's kind of where we are, where we are, but there's those still that, uh, you know, particularly in, uh, in combat arms, when I say combat arms, I'm really referring to like, uh, particularly infantry, Marines, Delta Force, Green Brain, SEALs, the war fighters, the guys are actually going to pick up a weapon and go head to head with, uh, you know, the opposition, those guys have a different mindset. That's why they're there because they still, you know, they're still the rough and tough guys that played street football. And, uh, you know, they want to do that cool Rambo stuff. Um, those numbers are starting to shrink. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, I honestly, I would tell you that we as a nation are in big trouble. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll share I share a story with you real quick. So last weekend I had a, I have a, so I've been training some clients, um, one of them is a civilian client that wants paramilitary type training. Um, another one has actually um, been through basic training, AIT for infantry. Um, he's being kicked out of the army for not taking the COVID, te- uh, COVID vaccine and, and for religious purposes. Why? Because he's actually been to the seminary. He wanted to be a priest and, uh, and then decided he wanted to be a Green Beret, but they gave him the boot. And so we were out in the field doing some training. And, and the funny thing was he didn't know how to build a poncho hooch and and then I got to talking to him and I found out that they never even taught him how to dig a foxhole in basic training. I'm like, how, how is that possible? Because digging a foxhole is fundamental to war fighting as, a, as, a, as an infantryman. You know, when you're in a defensive position, you dig foxholes, you know, and, and it's, it's very detailed. Not only do you build one, you build multiple primary contingency and alternate one. And he didn't know how to do anything. I was like, wow, they, they're letting you, they have let you down. They have, certain certain good an injustice here because you know the time to dig a foxhole is not in combat there's a way to do it and it has to you know it has to there's there's parameters for it so that it actually works and saves people's lives so that's where we're at man unfortunately you know it sounds like i'm talking bad and i guess i kind of am because um i've been very disappointed with everything that's happened in our military in the last couple years particularly um, let's look at Kabul. What happened there? You know, even our leadership has failed. Military leadership has failed. They failed. They failed the people in Kabul, in Afghanistan, the soldiers there, the Marines there. Um, they're failing our military. And uh, 
you know, I just, I, in fact, I get a lot of young men to come to me. Um, they call me, go, hey, I'm, I'm interested in joining the Army and Special Operations. Can you give me some guidance, some advice? And I say, yeah, here it is. Don't do it. <laughs> That's what I tell them now. I used to help them and mentor them. And I've sent a lot of kids into the Marines, the Rangers, the Army. And now I'm like, don't do it. I said, go educate yourself. You don't have to go to college. I said, educate yourself and uh, become a sovereign man. So you're not dependent on anybody, particularly this government for your living. I said, because that's where we are now. It's going to be a situation where um, those that, um, you know, the survival of the fittest, so to speak, you know, get away from the herd because the herd's going to get slaughtered, um, get out of the herd. So I've, I've actually, my son's a Green Beret. He's a ranger, been there for 10 years. And I told him the same thing. What are you doing, man? Why are you staying in the military? Why are you fighting for this regime? And nobody will remember you. Nobody will care. You'll die for nothing. But yeah, you're having fun right now, but is it really worth it at the end? You got to have a reason. You got to have a purpose in life, you know. Um, and yeah, the training's cool. It's all good stuff, but uh, you got to have a higher purpose. And the higher purpose is, you know, serving something that is bigger than you. And I'm not going to serve this, whatever this, what we're going through right now. I'm not doing it. And I, I encourage my son, don't do it either. Don't die for this. So this is where I'm at on this, and that's not just me. It's a lot of my military. My uh, veteran friends uh, have done the same thing. They've, they've discouraged their kids from going to military, discouraged others. This is where we are, and it's not just me. I mean, it's all over Twitter. There are a lot of veterans out there now going, no, don't join. So anyways, I'm going to be a little political, but, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. Let's be honest, man. We're, we're in this place um, in, uh, in this country that uh, I think we've gone over the precipice. I don't think there's any way out of this, any way back. Uh, it's going to be a disaster. It's coming and um, we'll see how it all works out. But fortunately for me, I have a fallback plan. I also live in Bali, Indonesia. So I have a home and a security over there. And uh, I got to tell you, man, it's, it's paradise. It's a little heaven on earth, you know, and uh, not that I will fight for my country. Um, I will fight for, I will fight for freedom. I will fight for, um, you know, the American way of life for the constitution and all those things that are, you know, um, in the constitution. I will fight for those people um, against those that would oppose it, unfortunately. Um, I'll never fight for this country again unless, you know, the enemy comes to our soil. And then I'm only going to fight for those that are on, in my camp, on, on my, on, you know, with my mindset. Um, that's who I'm fighting for and, and nobody else. Um, that's where we are. And this country has been destroyed because of this, uh, this whole this is not something that just happened. This has been an insidious, almost like a cancer, man. It's been creeping in and creeping in. And here we are. Um, we're, in, we're in stage five, you know, stage five. And uh, it's, it's do or die here. So Okay. So anyway. you covered a lot, no, you covered a lot of ground there. And, and so um, I'll kind of pick through that a little bit here. First, you talk about the military has lost its way. When did that happen, in your opinion? Actually, it happened. It, started, it was already happening back in 2001 when I retired. Is which is the reason one of the reasons I retired. 2001, 2000, 2001. I remember General Shinseki, Secretary of Defense, came to Fort Bragg. He came to a USASOC to a, a ceremony for special forces. All these guys were wearing green berets. Uh, the green berets were awarded to special forces from John F. Kennedy. Um, and so he looked around and goes, Oh, those are beautiful berets. I think everybody in the army should have one now. So give everybody a black one right there, command decision. And they're like, sir, uh, the Rangers wear black berets. But I don't care. Give everybody a black beret. So now everybody gets a black beret, gets to feel special. Okay. Most of them can't even wear the beret. They wear it like a pizza hat. Okay. 
Um, they don't have no pride in it. It's just, you know, it's just a piece of headgear for the Rangers and meant something, you know, just like the green beret means something. And so, you know, the Rangers had to go find a tan beret, you know, it's so it's a kick in the ball. So I saw that happening then. And then there was a requirement that uh, trainees didn't have to pass the physical fitness test and basic training. They just show up to the unit. It was up to the NCOs and whip them into shape, which is a bunch of bunk too, because I don't have time to put, get you in shape. All right, you need that's a personal responsibility and a professional responsibility. You need to be ready to go fight a war tomorrow. Um, and then they and then they eliminated the swim stand or the swim requirement for special forces. There was a reason for that because they need to get certain demographics to go into special forces. And so they completely eliminated that, which was interesting because I had a water team. Um, so we had to be able to know how to swim. And so, you know, the expectation was when you come to my team. You know how to swim because tomorrow we might go out the door and have to do a real world mission, maritime mission, where we're going to have to swim into a target. I don't have time to teach you how to swim overnight. That's not how it works. But they waived that requirement because of political correctness and recruitment agendas, right? Um, and then it, it turned into, you know, then they had the stress card, you know, and basic training. If, you know, if a, if a, um, a trainee felt like he's under too much stress from the drill sergeant. He pulled, whip out a card, hold it up, and and a drill sergeant had to really leave leave him alone. Just had to relent. It's like wow, you know, we have raised a bunch of freaking snowflakes, man. And it started back in two thousand one. And I can go on with the things that were happening. Um, you know, it was common. You know, in my era, if you made a mistake, you dropped down. And you had to do push-ups, right? That was your punishment. You, you know, made you stronger, made you think about what you did. I remember it got to a point where I had a soldier, young private, uh, put an M16 in his POV, privately owned vehicle, which is a no-no. Um, and so I had the option of Article 15ing him. Okay, I could have done that, but I decided, you know what? Just get down and start knocking out some push-ups. And while you're doing that, and then start thinking about you know the error that you just made. Well, anyways, I got raked over the coals by some female NCOs, like that's so cruel. And it, and before you know it, um, I could no longer make this kid do push-ups. I and I you know my only recourse was literally make him go home that weekend and write an essay on accountability and responsibility. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? That's where we went with this. And I said, you know what? I'm done with this army. That was in 2001. And that's why I retired. Um, so it was already happening then. And uh, you know, and and so it's gotten worse. You know, I've I've been downrange, I've been in Iraq, I've been in Afghanistan. You know, and I've seen um, what this country is churning out in the way of soldiers, and it's not uh, it's not encouraging at all. It's very disappointing, and uh, and I saw it. And I I have many experiences to support that. I, I won't say it here because um, I'll raise a lot of alarms and probably attract a lot of negative attention to myself. But what I saw happen overseas uh, with American soldiers and our fighting forces is just despicable, man. And, uh, and it wasn't just the soldiers, it was the politicians and the entire chain of command up there. They, nobody cared about winning the war. Um, nobody cared about war fighting. Nobody cared really about their soldiers. Um, it's just, uh, it's the whole thing is just mind boggling. It's not even, it's nothing that I grew up in. It, my era was completely different. Today's era is like, everybody's in it for me. You know, even the army recruiting, uh, you know, remember um, when I went in, um, it the motto was be all that you can be. Mm -hmm. oh, and then it turned into an army of one. How stupid was that? So just one guy is, it was all about me, 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 one guy. And the army realized oh, that's a bad idea because, you know, <laughs> um, you know, we're getting all these, uh, you know, these, these 
individualists that don't care about teamwork. You know, it's like we're trying to placate them, you know, and and so the recruiting message was all screwed up. Uh, and then, of course, you know, even today, just what we're getting for the quality of soldiers is just uh, it's unset. You know, the standards have been lowered. I mean, I, I even look at, you know, like uniforms, for example, you know, when I was in, it was pressed and starch uniforms, spit shine boots, you know, high and tight haircuts, you know, the discipline. And now it's like, you know, guys wear brown, dirty boots, pants are unbloused, you know, everything. They look like Joe shit, the rag man, you know, it's like, Christ, they just crawl out of bed with their clothes on, you know, hair's a mess, you know, uh, grooming standards are out of, out of standard. And uh, the discipline is gone as well. And when people think that, well, that doesn't matter. No, it actually matters a lot. Um, this is why since the founding... Since the founding of all militaries, discipline has always been a very important part of it, you know, and uh, we've kind of erased that and it's starting to it's starting to show. Yeah, I think, you know, we had um, and I'll link to this in the show notes for the listeners, but um, episode 103, we were talking about Queen Elizabeth and uh, Dr. Gilly was talking about these symbols and the representation of symbols and, and what they're there for. Um, and in my lifetime, you know, what I've observed is, is that there's a lot of things in society that society was doing that it didn't really have a good explanation for. Um, and because when you do things, you don't have a good explanation for, it's easy to then say, we don't need those things. And sometimes they might've been there for a good reason, but also sometimes they're not. And so we've kind of moved past um, this era of these old symbols, if you will, like the hat for the green beret, which distinguishes them or the black hat for the ranger, right? You kind of, you kind of move past that without stopping to pause and actually go, well, we might not know why we did it, but let's at least rediscover that and then decide whether it's worth moving away from this or not. And so we kind of, we've kind of blown past that. And it's, you, you, you touch on something there that I found interesting, which is um, the lowering of the standards in the military. And well, part of the, the question I would have to you is, are we, not attracting, but just to use your verbiage, are we not attracting the right type of people um, because they're not out there or because we're constantly engaged in conflicts that the public's not supportive of? And we've kind of lost what it is to, to maybe have this American supremacy or your dominance uh, I, or, or world police or whatever the term you want to use there is. Yeah, no, I don't think it's because of the latter. I think it's because we have just raised a generation of snowflakes they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker psychologically emotionally physically um culturally we are weak on so many levels man and uh you know there are enemies that are out there just you know <laughs> wringing their hands and salivate it's like they're watching us destroy ourselves from within because our culture has lost its way you know what are the the quality of soldiers and warriors that uh, we raise is directly related to our cultural, you know, our cultural norms. And we, there's been a big paradigm shift. You know, we've gone from, you know, we've lost our morality um, on many levels. I mean, when you think about it, um, you know, and I, you know, I don't care what other people's, you know, opinion is on like, for example, abortion, um, transgenderism and all these things, you know, I have my opinion, um, but you know, and I'll use the abortion one, for example, you know, I'm, I'm pro pro life, man, because it's my whole military career was centered on saving lives. You know, my job was to go out and rescue people. 
um, you know, it was important to me to, to bring people back, to bring them back alive and to save their lives and save their children. And here we are killing our own from within, you know, and it's like, it's, a, it's okay. It's a good thing. It's just so, in my mind, it's so immoral and so contradictory to what my purpose in life has been in all these years. It's, it's I can't understand it, but we, we've, you know, we, we, we now, you know, we celebrate, you know, um, I mean, look at, look at, look at our public officials, man. I mean, I mean, we got some really weirdos, man, making political decisions for the rest of us. Um, and clearly it's insanity because, um, these people cannot be, they're not normal. Okay. And so, you know, they're, when we talk about normal, you know, what does normal mean? Well, you know, or I'll use, for example, obese people, right? Now it's gotten to the point where, you know, you look at Victoria's Secret, all their models are chubby and overweight, you know, and the, and the theme is this, this is normal. Look around. We see this everywhere. This is normal. It's only normal because we have taken something abnormal that has gotten so big. It's like it is normal. Abnormal is now normal, but it's actually not optimal, right? So, and that's kind of where we've shifted away from. Um, and so it's, you know, the, the military, for example, you know, there's this there's this uh, drive to put women and transsexuals and homosexuals and all these whatever sexuals and try to put them into combat arms. And, you know, and it doesn't work. I've been there. I've been there when this has happened. And I, I've seen how destructive it can be to the combat effectiveness of our organization, particularly, as I said earlier, most of the combat arms are ninety nine point nine nine percent conservative um, patriots they believe in American way of life they have they grew, grew up with certain ideals you know um, and suddenly you're forcing them to accept something that's way outside of their uh, you know out of their comfort zone and you know it's, it's is not in their mind normal so anyways um, we are systematically destroying our, our military um, we're destroying the fabric of our country um, because we're trying to acquiesce to everybody else the minority that has whatever emotional issues they have or you know and it's it's like a little cancer man just growing and growing growing and uh it all comes back to the culture man we cannot we cannot raise a culture of warriors um when all we're developing is you know snowflakes and uh and i've got examples of that personal example i've had people come to me have never been in the military um they're millennials they've been you know been very wealthy and they want to learn the art of the warrior, you know, um, but it's just not in there. It's just they just were never raised with that mindset. So no matter how hard they want it, um, they're very thin skin and it just cannot take the emotional side. Why are you yelling at me? Because I want you to survive. I want you to live, you know, they don't get that anymore. And like I said, I'm, I'm very, you know, of course, I'm very opinion on that, but sure. on it. So, so one of the things, and I think that there's definitely... Um, you know, so I'm 37. I was, bo I was born in 85. So <laughs> when you said 85 earlier, that's the year I was born for, for reference. Um, so we're, we're represented in kind of two different eras here. And one of the things that I've always, um, going back to, you know, um, elementary school, high school, one of the frustrations I've always had is um, I'm okay with criticizing the younger generation, but the older generation has to take responsibility for letting it get this way. And so part of the problems that we see in society are definitely how people are acting, you know, whether they're too soft or, or not motivated or whatever those issues might be. But it seems that 
in America, we've also the reason that the, the kids or grandkids aren't taking responsibility is that the elders are not taking responsibility for their screw ups. And so we've kind of built this culture of from the top down of not taking responsibility. It's always the younger person's fault and it's never uh, the elders fault for how they fumbled the bag, if you will, it seems. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Right. So I said that earlier. You know, it's not just the individual, but also their parenting, you know, poor, poor or lack of parenting. And I think, but I also think that, you know, when you go back and look at time, you know, remember Dr. Spock, you know, he's the guy that, you know, came out and opposed, you know, spanking kids, you know. And so this was a systematic, you know, process, a systematic degradation um, that in time was insidious and, you know, it started having its effect. Even, you know, even now, for example, you know, I'm a conservative and I, I, I call, you know, the silent majority, I call them cowards, actually, you know, um, they rest on this thing. Well, we're going to be the silent majority. We're going to vote them out of office. I said, well, how did that work out for you last time? You know what happened? The squeaky wheel got the, the grease. I said, you know, it was a small minority that got their way. And when people make a lot of noise, usually people um, do that. And moreover, on the, on the conservative side of the house, we tend to be very still moral, traditional values, blah, blah, blah. And then when you start challenging them, they're like, you know, you're racist. And we want to, we want to acquiesce. Go, no, 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 I'm not. And so, so we, we've liked, it's, 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 a, it's psychological warfare is what we've been engaged in. And it's powers that be that have manipulated the dumb masses. And so, um, because nobody wants to take the time to stop and use their critical thinking skills and go, wait a minute, you know, I don't agree with this is BS, but we just we just hand over our sovereignty, uh, all the decision making the people above us thinking they're going to take care of us when in fact it's not true. So as a society, we have been manipulated um, by the powers that be. And it's not just politicians; it's people who have an agenda. You know, for example, you know, let's just say Doctor Spock, for example. You know, don't spank your kids. Let me tell you, my dad beat my ass growing up, and I'm glad he did because it made me a better man. Um, made me a much better man, you know, had he not done that, you know, I would have been one of these little snotty nosed brats and thought I should have everything in candid to me. Um, but that's where we have gone in, in this country. So yeah, I agree. It, a lot of the, uh, the responsibility lies on the parents. Um, a lot of it, most of it relies also on the schools. Um, the schools are the ones indoctrinating our kids. Um, my daughter was my oldest daughter. She's 38 now. Um, very conservative household. Next thing you know, she goes to um, actually went to UNC Charlotte and came back with a very liberal mindset. You know, suddenly she's got a minor in uh, feminism and blah, blah, blah. And she's challenging me on all these things like, whoa, this is not how we were raised uh, or how you were raised. And suddenly it just went to. Now, fortunately, I was smart enough to realize that one day she's going to have children and her attitude is going to change. And I was right. It's like when she started having kids, she started looking around and go, uh, maybe the way I was thinking was wrong now, right? Because <laughs> now I've got skin in the game. Um, and so, um, but our schools are really, they're, they're, they're indoctrination factories, man. And uh, they're indoctrinating these people or these kids to think a certain way. And they're going to grow up making decisions for people like me and, and my children that I don't necessarily agree with. And uh, so, you know, what do we do about all this, you know? I don't know what we can do because, you know, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of relate back to you know the Roman Empire. Um, you know, the Roman Empire, the Senate, they were like, you know what, let's give the dumb masses bread and circus. They won't even pay attention to what's going on. And that's what they did. Entertainment, right? Bread, circus, free stuff, entertainment, you know, we get all the stuff. And meanwhile, the Senate was just manipulating everything until the empire 
they crumbled. Um, and so it's kind of where we are now, bread and circus, right? I mean, everything on the news is bread and circus, you know, everything is, you know, um, over amplified just, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, the, the, the media is nothing more than a psychological arm of the government, you know, and in this case, they're, they have their own agenda. Um, and so, you know, I would argue that maybe only 5% to 10% of the population, U.S. population, it carries the other 90% and uh, actually still has those values that are important to, you know, that were important to us and made us the greatest country in the world. Um, we are the underdogs and we are the minority and we're going to get crushed. There's, I don't see a way out unless it's a civil war. Um, and I, and I'll tell you, man, it sounds, I know a lot of people that are ready for it, um, have stocked piled ammunition. They are ready for it right now. They just need a trigger. Um, it's not going to work out well for, um, it's not going to work out well. Let's just put it that way. Um, and that's where we are. And this is scary that we have come to this point in our history. We're ready to turn guns on each other, um, because we have been divided so far and, um, you know, and even the military, man, I'm, I, I, I see a lot of guys now that are special forces that have become indoctrinated in a different mindset. Like, wow, these guys are going to be on the other side of the battlefield for me. We were on the same side, now we're on the other side. You know, they got they got brainwashed, you know. Um, I don't know how we're going to get out of it. I don't think we are. Um, and that's why I said, you know, fortunately for me, I've got a fallback plan. I'll stay and fight. But ultimately, I've got a home in Indonesia. I've got a family over there. I've got a business. I've got a life. i got happiness there. That culture over there is nothing like the American culture. People over there don't eat out of each other's rice bowl. They don't care what the Jones are doing. They just worry about themselves and get along. They don't, they don't, all these things that are, seem to be important to, you know, our country, or at least to some part of our country, has no relevance over there in that part of the world. You know, it's like we're a bunch of idiots compared to them. It's embarrassing. But uh, our society has completely is disintegrating and our military is going down with the ship. Man. It's, just, it's done. Um, bad. I, I mean, that sounds like doom and gloom, but that's just what I feel, man. Just kind of watching and reading the tea leaves like, man, this is going in a really bad direction. And my own experience in combat uh, supports that. What I have seen out there on the battlefield with the new generation of soldiers, it's not good. It's not a good thing. So you say it's maybe beyond repair, but how would we repair it? Well, yeah, we've got to get back to the values that made us great as Americans, you know, one, you know, now it's wrong to be an American. Now it's wrong to be a nationalist, you know, now it's wrong, wrong to be, you know, one tribe, you know, um, you know, it's it's always now it's, you know, you know, for example, you know, uh, white conservative men are the evil ones, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's like this. Is, we got to get away from all this and just understand we're all Americans. And let's just at least just agree that this is country is the good and the bad is it is what it is today. Look, there's no country out there is perfect. Um, I've, I've lived and traveled to a work in over 97 countries. I see what the rest of the world is like. And it's as bad or worse in the United States, the way it's treated as people. Um, we've been very fortunate. You actually have a lot of freedom here. So let's go back to those values. You know, let's stop, you know, let's stop, you know, picking on people because, you know, they're whatever their political beliefs are, their religious beliefs are, what kind of skin color is. And let's just all get along, mind our business, work as a team, all right, as, as a unified whole. And, and do what's right. We, we have open borders. We're just letting millions of people invade our country. And that's what they're doing is invading it. We should be going, hey, this is our tribe, 
our land. Let's keep them out. And let we have a process to let them in, make them follow that process. Like my mom, who's an immigrant, my wife is an immigrant. They went through the process. Let's do that for everybody. And let's bring in Americans. You know, let's bring these people that uh, really want to be Americans and not want to come and be parasites off our country. We've got to go back to those values. And if we don't ever do that, then we're done. And we're not right now. We're not even there. We've lost all those values, you know. So, um, and it's going to take a collective. It's going to require a collective to make that decision. And as a collective, we're so far divided that uh, we're never going to come back to. Them. There's no way. There's no way. I don't see it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll send people to follow you to hear more about your thoughts. And you have a lot going on. So maybe you, where do you want to push people to? Um, you know, you can follow me on Instagram, official American badass. Um, I'm on Instagram, Dale Compson, official American badass. You can follow me on, on Twitter. Um, I don't do Facebook too much anymore. Again, that's one of those social media sites that has swung so far in the opposite direction. They banned me. They banned me so many times for even writing, for writing stories about my dog. Like, wow, they banned me for that. I mean, you know, I'm being targeted, um, because of my conservative beliefs. And, um, and so I'm not going to acquiesce as well. But Instagram is mostly where you can find me. I also have a website, dealcomstock.com. You can reach me through that. Um, there's a means to message me, call me, et cetera, et cetera. And learn a little bit more about what I do and, and where I'm at in life. So, um, you know, and I just want to kind of kind of close this up with, you know, just make a statement. Um, people are quick to judge, right? So, and I, I can tell you right now, there's people out there going, oh, uh, you know, a bitter old white man, um, blah, 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 blah. You know, let, let me tell you something. First of all, um, I have three children that are black, okay, biological children. Um, I've got an Asian child. I've got a Hispanic child. Um, I, you know, my wife is Indonesian and she's Muslim, okay? So I don't want to hear that racist bullshit. Um, you know, that's the problem. And people are really quick to profile somebody just by the skin, their skin color or their belief system. And... Uh, and this is where we're going wrong because everybody just jumps to the conclusion. And that's why I want to say this as a parting shot. Uh, so before you judge me or anybody else, learn something about them. And if you can do that, now you can open your mind a little bit more. Maybe we can all get along. It's like we have a better understanding of everybody and each other. So, um, but anyways, that's uh, that's my parting shot. <laughs> and uh, so like I said, dalecompsa.com or official American Badass on Instagram. Um, those are probably going to be the two best ways to get a hold of me. Okay. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Dale, thank you for your time. Enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it for having me on. Thank you. Okay. There it is. Dale Comstock. What do you think? He has strong opinions. Agree, disagree. Warroommedia.com is where you hop in and let me know. And with that, we'll talk to you tomorrow.